This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 223, with Rick Allen and TJ Osterman. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at how to create cash flow with mortgage notes. My guests in this episode are Rick Allen and TJ Osterman from Paperstack. For over 10 years, Rick Allen has been an active investor as the co-founder and fund manager of Cloud Capital Management and the co-founder of Paperstack. He has conducted transactions with large A-list institutions. Rick has expert experience in investment strategies of the real estate sector with a primary focus on discounted acquisitions and distressed assets. He has participated in the purchase of over 400 single-family homes with a purchase price of $25 million and a market value of $45 million. Since 2014, he has been actively working on a new way for note investors to purchase and sell mortgage notes. Now that their platform is live, they've been actively growing and expanding the market to bring the opportunity of mortgage notes to a larger audience. TJ Osterman has been working in the real estate investment space for the last 15 years. During that 15-year stretch, he did everything from source private money, flip houses, wholesale houses, landlord, and swing hammers. He eventually combined all of those disciplines and started his own real estate investment firm with a partner. Five years ago, he pivoted into the note business and quickly realized that there were many low to middle income borrowers in need of desperate help. He's also a founding member of Paperstack.com, the platform that together with his team intended to change the way trading mortgage notes is conducted. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MC Lobsher or by email at info at cashflowninja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at cashflowninja.com or texting cashflowninja to 44222. To ensure you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. I've also created a Cashflow Ninja investment group where I share opportunities that I'm investing in with my fellow investors. If you're interested in joining this group, please email me at info at cashflowninja.com and we will continue the conversation to see if you're a good fit for our group. I've always thought that if there's only a handful of people that have built indestructible wealth in any economy and any market, why are we following the advice and doing what the majority of people are doing that are struggling financially? My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for higher yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. 
To learn more about this exciting investment opportunities, the Real Asset Investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at Mahogany Bay Village in Belize, investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the United States, and ATM syndication opportunities, please visit cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start or how to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit JoinOps Properties at joinopsproperties.com. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Rick and TJ, welcome to the show. Thanks, MC. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks, MC. Yep, thanks for having us. Excited. Yeah, excited to have you guys on. Um, Can you please share a little bit about your background and journeys with my listeners? Sure. Uh, I'll start. My name is Rick Allen. I was originally, you know, born in uh, Columbus, Ohio, but moved to sunny Florida when I was eight. So, I consider myself a uh, natural Floridian, or at least as close to can be. Um, I guess, you know, my, my journey as an entrepreneur started before I can remember. My mom and dad have always told me that whenever I asked what I was going to do, I always said, I'm going to work for myself. And I think, you know, it started with lemonade stands and, and lawn businesses and then uh, naturally has just progressed to the next level. Um, I started in real estate about 13 years ago and um, just was fascinated by the thought of you could buy something, fix it up and resell it and make, and make a profit on it. And from there, um, you know, was worked in a couple different businesses and met TJ and next thing you know, we're, we're starting a business together and here we are. Yeah. I'm uh, my name's TJ Osterman from uh, Chicago, Illinois, huge Cubs fan. So anybody listening out there, go Cubs world series champions, uh, still <laughs> until, uh, until probably LA takes it over now. But, uh, yeah, I um, I'm 40 years old now, and I can tell you what I've uh, I've done just about it all during those the, during this time. I uh, I moved when I was uh, I've been in Florida, Orlando, Florida for about uh, 16 years. I moved from Chicago to here to be a teaching professional um, in golf and um, got into the real estate side. But you know, before I did that, at 18, I uh, I took off from my house and traveled the country from uh, Maine to Hawaii and sold magazine subscriptions um, face-to-face and kind of cut my teeth out there with some real kind of seedy people to, um, you know, I've seen it all. And uh, and then I kind of did, a, you know, my own little thing in like a Mexican food catering business where I saw an opportunity for uh, construction sites that did not have good food besides those roach coaches out there. And so at 18, I, I borrowed a little money from my dad, said, let's buy a truck and wrap it in some graphics and start going to these um, construction sites and selling them burritos. And uh, so... Uh, you know, I got a couple guns pulled on me out there because I was I was invading some guy's turf. I guess uh, that one didn't last too long because I ate, I ate a lot of the profits. I just pick up my friends. You know, I was eighteen. I had zero discipline, and uh, you know, so and then um, so that's when when I kind of moved to uh, to Florida um, to be a teaching pro in golf because I always enjoyed playing the game. But I realized I didn't want to um, I didn't want to teach. I wanted to play. I realized I wasn't good enough. So that's when I, you know, found real estate, flipped my first house, um, made $30,000 and said, uh, wow, there's, I really enjoy this. I like the, the swing of the hammers. I like um, finding the real estate. 
And um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, Rick and I uh, met, you know, 10, 12 years ago at a uh, investment real estate company where uh, we sourced uh, hard money for investors, which hard money to somebody out there is it's just a high interest rate loan for um, fixer upper style houses that people will lend their money on. And um, so we sourced that money to them and found them the, uh, the deals. And so that kind of really brought me into the investment, um, you know, the investment class that now we're doing a lot in, which is the small balance real estate market. But we've pivoted about six years ago into the, um, the mortgage note space. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of taken on a whole new direction, which um, I never thought it would into a, uh, you know, a social impactful type of investment. Um, and so, you know, with that being said, that's a little bit about, about my background. And, um, you know, we can kind of kind of go from there. Yeah, let's jump into uh, the the non-performing mortgage and the mortgage note space because we haven't covered that on this show. So this will be interesting just to just to touch into into that. Uh, can you sh guys share exactly what you do, uh, the strategy around it, uh, how you create value, and how value is distributed uh, on all different sides of the transaction? Sure. Um, I guess the best way to start is. Um, to kind of tell you how we wound up here, we were buying and selling um, fixer uppers. And as you know, our REO agents have a lot of those. And we got a call from one of the bank agents and asked us, are you guys interested in buying mortgage notes? And I said, well, I'll take a look at it. You know, we're looking for some inventory. And so he said, I've got um, a frame duplex here. It was right in our backyard in Winter Garden. And the mortgage note on it, the payoff was about 90000 he said, what, what will you pay for this? And so I, I thought there's no way they'll take it, but I'll, I'll give them eight grand. And they, they countered us at $8,400. So we bought a non-performing mortgage note, which basically means they weren't making payments on it. It's bad debt. And the banks just want to get that off their books. And we paid 8,400 bucks for it. Wound up getting what's called a deed in lieu of foreclosure. The, the owner signed the house over to us. And we ended up um, selling it for uh, around $40,000, all done within like three weeks. And it was, we looked at that and said, wow, this is a better way to get to the house. We can buy it for so much cheaper. And this was in, I guess this was in 2012 and we were buying them at 2009 prices. So we thought it was fantastic. So from there, um, we just started buying up mortgage notes from hedge funds. I mean, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting way to actually acquire more uh, more properties for our in uh, our real estate business. Like Rick was saying, um, when it started to get a little dry, we decided to um, you know become the bank essentially and in, in you know own the debt and buy that debt, which is you know the mortgage note. And um, you know during that time, you know we we primarily were just looking at at, at NPLs to buy them and um, take them back. They were vacant houses. Um, they were a drain on the communities that they were in. They were, uh, you know, being passed around from fund to fund. And, um, and we would come in and basically take that note, um, go through the process. We would either offer somebody, you know, something called a deed in lieu of foreclosure, uh, where you basically call the borrower and say, um, you know, we, uh, we now own your, own your mortgage. Um, we're not one of those, you know, big time, big shops, um, those, those ugly, companies out there that are predatory uh, lenders, let's just say. And, um, you know, we're here to help you out. And um, would you like, you know, cash instead of going through the foreclosure process? 
that um, that started to become a very interesting um, niche for us, and we really yeah. enjoyed um, you know helping the people out from that aspect. Once um, that you know that that took place, we started to buy you know five, ten at a time, and started developing more contacts within the space um, to get these. Yeah, we um, we did develop more contacts. People started reaching out to us. And we realized at that point that we um, we were working with a small amount of capital and went and um, took the small amount of assets that we had and what we'd done on our performance and showed somebody and they said I'll partner up with you and give you a million bucks. You yeah, want it all today? You know, it was it was this this asset class, the mortgage note space, is such an elusive asset class still till today. A lot of people don't know what it actually is and can you can you do that? Can you buy mortgage notes? And the answer is yes, yes you can. And there's a lot of educators out now that, that are training armies of people that are buying these. And the stuff that we're buying, is, they call it um, tails. And it's the tail of a tape. A tape is basically just a big, long list. It's a spreadsheet of assets that these big, huge funds buy big, big, you know, big pools of mortgage notes from each other. And by the time they kind of take the cream of the crop off the top, um, the good performing assets, the non-performing stuff to where the, the asset, the, the real estate is worth, you know, the higher yeah, value, stuff. higher value stuff. Yeah. It, it, there's a waterfall effect that happens. And what we're buying is the small balance, um, uh, you know, really ugly scratch and dent type of, which, type of loans, which would basically be qualified as, mortgages or houses that are worth less than 150,000. So that, so that's our niche is that, and that's what we did. It was an easy pivot into the, from the real estate side into the mortgage note space, because all you're doing, let's just say for all those investors out there that buy and sell homes and are looking to diversify into a new asset class like mortgage notes in the past with our, with the house, we would buy an ugly house, fix it up uh, you know, add a value to it and then sell it. Um, these mortgage notes from the crisis, the the paper on it is the the the, the, the terminology that we use. Uh, they're missing notes. They're missing assignments. Every time one of these notes get traded between banks or servicers, there's an assignment chain, and that all needs to be cleaned up. So you're buying basically a a broken mortgage note. You're fixing it up, and then you're either you're set, reselling that to the secondary market by getting that mortgage performing again. Um, because right now we're seeing that there's the secondary market, the self-directed IRA, 401k market is very yield hungry. Mm-hmm. So this is a very nice investment vehicle for them to where they're, um, it's a yield with, a you know, with a, uh, it's, it's, um, on the back end, it's, it's attached to real estate. So it's yeah. secured with, uh, with real estate on that back end. So people, uh, people love real estate and we're seeing, we just sold a note or in the process of selling a note that's going to wind up having a 40% yield on it. Um, in, the interest rate alone on it was like 13.1%. So when you figure in the discount and stuff, you can see why people who are of the, you know, the passive uh, investors who just want to buy it, set it and forget it. This really fits their, their model. Yeah. And the, the inventory, the amount of inventory right now for the, um, the small balance mortgage uh, notes out there is, is huge. Um, I forget what the one stat was. There's something like there, I think there's 300 billion, 300 billion of untouched inventory. Yeah. As of January 17, um, there's around 300 billion, uh, in deeply defaulted mortgages yet to be touched. So it's really a product of a, a failed, um, system because nobody knew it in 2008 that there was going to be this many foreclosures. So no. I don't blame um, the Wells Fargo's, you know, the big guys out there because 
their system was built around, okay, a loss mitigation department who handles the borrowers that are not going to actually um, pay. We weren't expecting uh, no. hundreds of thousands of de- defaults. So they were, they were bombarded with, with all of this, um, with all this many foreclosures. And so obviously the people on the low end were getting, their mortgages were getting traded back and forth. They were getting frustrated, complaining to the CFPB about how they were being treated. Um, and to tell you the truth, it was just, they're just a product of, of a failed system that needed to be changed. It was an overloaded system. You know, you couldn't yeah. expect them to handle that many. And that's where the niche kind of was created. And it's not really going away. They're, they're selling off, and by say they, I mean the big banks and the GSEs are selling off inventory at around $40 billion a year. So with $300 billion out there, you, you can do the math. And that's if nobody else ever foreclosed again or we don't have another downturn in the market, which if we do, I, you know, I have a theory that people have become um, you know, jaded by the foreclosure thing to where it's not that big of a deal anymore. People, they've seen people go through it. They've seen their neighbors go through it. They survived. And they're like, well, it's not so bad anymore. So I think if, if the market does turn, then that, that $300 billion, it, there could be some stuff stacked on top of it. Yeah, and let's face it, with the lack of, of available housing for affordable available housing these days, um, for people to just start foreclosing on these people, um, it's just not a sustainable type of, um, no. sustainable type of uh, you know, method to doing it. You know, we're trying to keep these people in, which I don't want to go down too far down the road, but that's a little bit about that NPL market. And we're in love with the, the market yeah. and what we can actually do. There's a huge, huge uh, opportunity for some disruption, especially um, technology within the fintech space. Right. And that's kind of uh, what you guys are doing at Paperstack too, right? One of the, the companies. Yeah. Paperstack is a, um, it's a mortgage note trading platform, which in layman's terms, it's a place for the everyday uh, main street investor to go out there and buy a mortgage note that, as a way for them to, to just get their hands on some inventory. You know, it was um, a deep, dark secret. It's been around for, you know, mortgage note buying. It's been around for 30 plus years, more than that. It's been, but it's been the ultra wealthy have been doing it. And this is a, it's a way for Main Street to get in there and buy one note at a time. Um, you know, like I said, we paid $8,400 for our first note and had ridiculous returns on it. And so we were, we were in the process of doing a trade and had a pretty bad experience. And we thought, you know, there's a way that this needs to be made more transparent and more, you know, to where the mainstream investor can get out there and do it. And everybody can start participating in this investment class. So that's where, that's where paper stack was born. It's been in, we probably have been developing it for the past two and a half years and went, um, we went live a couple months ago and have just had been so well received by anybody else who has seen a mortgage note trading platform. They just love what we have going on right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the, to increase the awareness of, of our mission, uh, you know, and to increase um, awareness of this asset class to people, it, it needs to be a lot easier, more transparent than it, it, it currently was. Uh, there was no technology behind it, and there was no standardization behind it. So any new investor that wanted to, um, you know, diversify into this asset class of mortgage notes, got one look maybe of, a, of, a, of an Excel spreadsheet, a tape of assets and said, this is crazy confusing. There are so many new disciplines to learn here. There's not that much good education out there. Uh, and they just walked away from it. 
Um, so that's when we kind of said it doesn't with the tech where we are today in technology, um, the technology that was around in the more original trading space was like Commodore 64 days. I mm -hmm. mean, it was it was insane. So, of course, unless you were going to do this full time and really dive in like Rick and I did, you're, it's it's not going to be a sustainable investment mm -hmm. choice for you. So we realized that we could apply not crazy technology. I mean, just a, a good amount of technology, what we would like to see more of an eBay style. Okay. Here's the asset that you want to buy. Give me the specifics on it. I don't have to take a class in Excel because uh, all of the tapes that they call them, which are spreadsheets of assets, um, they would be sent over an Excel spreadsheet is ugly. I mean, let's face it. Nobody wants to sit there and comb through 50, 60 lines and 60 columns of, of assets. It's, it makes your, 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 you know, your eyes bug out of your head. And you're like, who the hell is going to want to do this? So we just made it a lot more pleasing to the eye. And the interface between the, the investor um, you know, has to be a little bit more transparent. Um, where you actually do your due diligence on these assets needs to be presented more to the investor straight ahead, um, you know, on the interface, because um, we utilize third parties to leverage our, our business big time, yep. meaning servicing of these things, um, how highly regulated, um, you know, the CFPB does and Dodd-Frank uh, with the mortgage mortgage industry, you, you really should use a third party servicer because look, those are disciplines we don't want to take on. No, no, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of regulation going on there and you just, at some point, you have to know um, when you surround yourself with a team, you got to hand some stuff off. And this is one of the things for us to grow and to scale. We knew that we couldn't do the servicing. We need to use a professional. And I'd encourage anybody who gets into the mortgage note space, 100% hire a professional servicer. And, and the big thing is, too, is that paper stack is going to, you know, if we want to increase social awareness about how these low-income borrowers are being actually treated, which is our giant mission of creating a sustainable home ownership for the, you know, the underserved markets out there, the low to middle income people in our country, um, you have to be able to distribute these to the smaller investors. The smaller investors that are managing five to 10 notes are going to be doing a much more realistic approach to these, um, these, um, these homeowners that are really kind of got a raw deal for the last five to six years. Um, and you know, you realize if you're managing a thousand assets and you're getting, and you're just a hired employee at a giant you know, giant uh, fund, you're just going one after the other, one after the other, and you're not really attaching this, the human element to it. And we realize that when somebody, a micro investor like ourselves, and, you know, now up until the middle style investor that's managing five to 10 notes, you're able to reach out to that borrower, really touch them like a human being and actually come up with a, um, a working solution that's realistic. And, you know, give them a, 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 a modification on a loan to where now it's a sustainable homeownership solution for them by giving them a payment that makes sense. And we've just, it's gone bonkers with the mm -hmm. reperforming stuff that we've, um, that we've done. Um, but in, in order to increase that awareness, the, the, the social movement that we want to create, you have to be able to distribute these to more smaller investors. And um, Paperstack is definitely allowing us to do that. And it's allowing us to, on that back end, to be able to, um, to sell these, to move these to market quicker, because we're, we're, we're basically creating our own secondary market.
Right. Now, a couple of questions that I had. I think you guys gave a pretty good and comprehensive view just of uh, the industry, uh, where things are moving around in, and also the value that you guys provide and uh, how value is distributed uh, around the table here. Let's take a bird's eye view just for, from an understanding point, because you guys had mentioned uh, the, the big hedge funds that, that have mm-hmm. these mortgage notes, right? So when somebody purchases a home, I, I just kind of want to get an idea of where you guys can come in and actually pick up these, these mortgage notes. So somebody buys, purchases a home, they close on it with the bank, the bank has the mortgage note. Well, they repackage and sell that. Right. Uh, to hedge funds or, or there and, and there so forth and so forth. How does it get, uh, kind of, uh, split apart uh, and, uh, separated where the non-performing ones are split at which level is, are, are these from hedge funds that you guys are purchasing or just share a little bit of, uh, of the, of the deal flow just to kind of, uh, share with the listeners where, where you guys fit into, uh, this system. Typically, what will happen is that the banks will they'll generate a loan. Um, you'll close on a house. You now have a mortgage, and they will package those up. And they they usually retrade them around to other banks. They'll sell them. At some point, most of these or some of the loans will stop paying, and then they become um, an, an NPL or a bad debt. A bunch of different labels that they've been given. At that point, what the, what a bank will do a, a larger bank like BOA or Bank of America will package those up. And they will sell those off in a big bulk tape to a huge fund like um, like Blackstone will buy them. And they may buy $500 million. And then they're going to take the, the top, the cream of the crop, as TJ put it earlier, off the top, which are the stuff that maybe there's still some performing ones in there. Maybe there's some that have a bunch of equity, uh, stuff that's got value that's in the higher, higher price band, 175 200 and up. And they're going to keep those. So maybe there's 400 million left over. They'll break those up into say $400 million pools and you'll get a, a mid-sized player um, like a Condor Capital or, or a Bayview will come in and they'll buy those at a $100 million chunk. And then they may break those off and sell them to uh, a micro investor like us on a one-off basis or a micro pool of say 15 to 20 loans. So we bought our first one from one of those mid-sized players of of condor who is i mean they're they're on the lower end but they sold us you know an asset a single asset on a one-off basis for eighty four hundred dollars gotcha yeah, and and you know a lot of these huge companies obviously if they're if they are taking them and going to use them as uh, you know package them up and offer securities on them which a lot of investment companies will do they still within that security um obviously you know the if it's if it's mortgaged back security they have all these mortgages that are in these big pools and the ones that are not performing, um, they don't have an appetite, nor do they really have um, the loss mitigation put in place to deal with these. So to make that look better, they will trade those out, those, those assets, uh, and get rid of those, um, you know, those that mm-hmm. non-performing debt. And let's face it, you know, if there's a bunch of jumbo loans in a, in a portfolio that are, that are performing, and that are even non-performing, let's just say, and there's a lot of equity spread, um, then those bigger, those bigger institutions are going are gonna to take those. Not meaning, you know, we can, we can operate on a much, uh, much leaner spread and still turn double-digit yields on this. So it's that, it's that waterfall of what, how the, really, the deal flow happens. All those mortgages get originated and sold off to a, a huge, huge institution. Then those huge institutions, you know, work them for a while. And if they, 
hit any you know hiccups within some assets and their lower valued assets, they'll trade those off um, to a smaller to a mid-sized fund, and then it just keeps going whittles whittles down to then eventually, you know, that mom and pop investor or the micro investor that's going to buy 5, 10, 15, 50 uh, loans. And um, that's really where the niche is, you know, right now is the small, is the low balance um, uh, stuff, the small balance um, mortgage notes that are out there. You're listening to Rick Allen and TJ Osterman on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Valhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. You're listening to Rick Allen and TJ Osterman on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and are back to our interview. A lot of the mortgage-backed securities, obviously, that was things that went down south really quickly during 2008 and 2009. Mm-hmm. What were some of the, the factors that played into uh, those bundled mortgages that were sold to a lot of pensions and uh, uh, retirement funds? What, what were some of the, 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 the factors contributing to that? I, I, was, I would say that there was, uh, you know, straw buyers were, were a big part of that. There was... Um, I think the issues with the the appraising going on at the time, you know, I was doing real estate in that time and it wasn't difficult to ask for, to talk to the appraiser. And there's a real big conflict of interest when I can call up the appraiser and say, you know, I'm really looking for 220 and the house next door sold for 190. It's, I mean, I think stuff like that certainly contributed to it. Um, we could go to the rating agencies, obviously just passing Absolutely. right over stuff and just absolutely you know, yep. the papers. Yeah. And and the thing is, is, I mean, they never checked. There was so many mortgages going into these. No, they failed to actually check and see were these actual real mortgages? Was there a house there that it was secured upon? Um, Was the mortgage done right? Was there robo signing going on? We all know that that's kind of what happened. And the carnage that is left over is we have to realize every time that was going on and these mortgages Let's say a somebody was, um, you know, a victim of predatory lending. That's a a family that you're talking about, and there's a real life human being on the end of that getting traded back and forth. With that uncertainty now of this this person might have a family at home and going, you know, for five to six years it can linger even longer. We've seen where they don't know um, whether or not they're going to have a home because their their mortgage is like just continuously nobody everybody's passing the buck, and it's the lower value stuff that we're seeing that so. Um, you know, for us to step in and, and to be able to take, um, buy those, fix them, get the paper all done up correct, so we can actually move forward with either a legal proceeding of foreclosure, if it's a vacant home, to get that off the streets, if it's a vacant house, um, to get, you know, those, those the, just the drag on the, the property taxes that were not paid on these for five to six to eight years is unbelievable. Um, and then vacant homes, the crime, what increases in communities mm-hmm. from vacant homes, um, people getting foreclosed on that 
weren't even they they were foreclosed on they were foreclosing on the wrong house. Uh, right. The carnage is what we're actually seeing every single day in in the trenches. We're we're dealing with the carnage that was the effect of these. Uh, you know, these guys that were just throwing in whatever. Well, into if you could, yes, also it was if you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan. So, right, right. I think that was a big part of it. You had, you wound up with a lot of people who shouldn't been getting loans, getting loans. We still have assets we're buying uh, that uh, they had a loan for $200,000 and the house is worth 35000 And now are, if you're a person in that house, are you going to continue to pay on that thing? Or if they just keep selling it and just keep pushing, kicking the can? These people, they're not going to, they're not going to pay. And so they're like, okay, well, I'm just not going to pay. I'm going to, you know, just this thing's going to just keep getting sold back and forth. We're able to come in and, and actually buy that at such a discount to where now we give that person back that right of, um, you know, the, uh, give them back the dream, the dream of home ownership. And we put them back at, at either, either equal equity. We won't reposition all that principal and, and interest on the back end of the loan. We'll actually, be able to put them at a break-even point, um, get them into, into a nice performing loan where they can actually start to realize equity again in their house instead of kicking them out and clogging our courts with more foreclosures and still turn a double-digit yield to our investors. So when I look at that and I say, how the hell did these, the people that we bought these loans from, how, they get how, how why didn't, why did they just put all that back interest payments and, and, and penalties? They, what they did was they put it on the back end and, um, you know, put it back to 40 years and people are like, right. great, but, uh, it doesn't negate the fact I'm never going to be out of the hole in this house. Why am I going to continue to pay? So we're trying to stop that. Yeah. And there has to be, uh, some common sense involved at some stage, which I'm happy that you guys are providing where it's like, are we just going to keep continue doing this? Or are we actually going to put a floor underneath it, solve the problem, uh, and do something that's beneficial for both parties? I just want to look at it from the homeowner standpoint as well. So now you're in a situation where you royally got, you know, whatever and what this loan that you're in, you're underwater. Uh, in, in, in your mortgage. Uh, so there's obviously a credit impact when that note is being sold. And this is kind of a non-performing note. There's a credit impact for that person already. So they're already in a bad situation where they can't ref- really afford the home that they're in, or they have, have made a decision not to continue making the payments because it's, it's just slushing money down the toilet. So at that stage, the, the credit impact is there, but they would like to be in a situation where they could still salvage the home that they live in because homes are uh, where families live, uh, where memories are made. There is an emotional attachment to a home. So right. this way they can be able to stay in that home, get back to payments where it, they can afford the payments. Um, and at that stage, start building up some equity. And then on the other side, obviously there's uh, an investor with these notes that are able to make a nice return. So it seems like a pretty viable and elegant solution that you guys have come up with. It is. It is. And one of the things is, you know, you hit it on, there's, there's emotional equity in the house as you know, if you want to put a, a phrase on it, yeah. and not only are, are somebody, you know, their credits being damaged, but their self-esteem is being damaged because they're not making a payment on their house. They know it, but it, at some point, it's a business decision. You're like, look, the house is worth 35 grand. The mortgage is 200. It would be bad business to keep making that that payment. Right. Um, but there's also a sense of fear that goes along with it. You know, if you're putting yourself in the shoes of a homeowner, think if you're maybe a single mother with two or three kids, and you're like, 
I got a raw deal. Every night, she probably goes to bed wondering, when are they coming to take my house? Yeah, and, and it's putting that label, I think, that when, when you label something as a non-performing loan on a big scale, that's what they are. You see, we look at that. We see the picture of the person. We know there's a human being on the other end of this. And when you're able to remove that label and mm -hmm. say that this is actually a family, um, so let's try to work out something here and not just push them aside because <clears throat> they couldn't afford a $500,000 house and the bottom, the bottom line wasn't big enough. Um, there was not an appetite for that. And, you know, we're, we came in and kind of said, all right, you know, we're removing that label. Um, let's, let's say that, you know, you are a human being. Let's, let's, you know, help you out in that aspect. And um, the results that we have been getting have been phenomenal mm -hmm. because the investors love it. It's a no brainer loan, re-performing loan. It's a very nice yield. Um, for them, you know, uh, double digit yield for most of these people. And, um, and, and these people are continuously paying because and they're happy and, and they're happy. Oh man. They're, yeah. That, that's one thing is when, when they, when you have a borrower call you up and say, thank you so much for, for treating me like a person and actually letting me stay in my house and doing what it is. Those people, one borrower actually sent us a Christmas card. Said, thank you. And so that was, I mean, that was, you know, that's obviously, on top of the, the financial stuff, that's great. It lets you know that you're, you're doing something for the betterment of, you know, society. Yeah, I mean, the big thing that we, we really want to, you know, encourage more stakeholders that are in our space to make their decisions with more of a, you know, um, ethical, socially responsible decision. Because you can actually, our motto is connecting money with meaning. You know, you can actually still turn, you don't have to sacrifice you to do something socially good. And, um, and it's just common sense on this uh, with these mortgage notes that these low balance notes that if you, let's say a foreclosure is a huge cash burn, it's very expensive to go through this and maintain the property for the 12, 18 months that it takes to sometimes foreclose on these things. And it just by default, if you're somebody that doesn't care about the social awareness pitch or whatever it may be, by default, you still want that, that RPL, the re-performing loan trades at a higher price than a non-performer does so why wouldn't you keep this person in your home and, and, and help them out you know it just it's just a like you said it's it, it's makes, sense. A, it it's, makes sense it's so glaring that this is so common sense but i think when you get when you get pigeonholed into making by you're just following protocol and this is what you do here's your thousand loans mr uh, employee call each one of them they're all non-performing deadbeats and threaten them to pay us or we're foreclosing right. It's like, okay, great. How long is that going to happen before these people just are really, really start to get upset? And that's or the bulk of our country. They just stop answering the calls. They just they stop just, answering the just... calls, and then they leave the house if it is vacant, and then cry, crime. It just decreases. I can. I have so many statistics on what a what just a um, a vacant home does to a community. It's it's unbelievable when you move. I have to move a child out of, of the community that he was going to um, school in. I, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. It's a whole nother discussion, but. It's 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 sickening that nobody's because it's not the sexy thing to talk about these days. Right. You bring it up, um, but right. it's it's staggering what's going on in the the you know that underserved market right now. It's 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 gross. Yeah, the impact just spreads and spreads. I mean, it's like this ripple effect. Mm -hmm. uh, in communities where it all starts, starts in the home to the communities, to the wider, wider region. I mean, to the state, to the country, mm -hmm. it, it just ripples and ripples. Uh, now guys, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you guys currently studying and what skill sets are you guys currently learning? I'm actually two right now. We're in the process of doing a regulation, a, a plus fund. So 
diving into that's a whole new world on, on raising capital. Um, that's one of the things. And then personally, um, I'm a firm believer that whoever you're spending the rest of your life with, you got to have a great relationship with. So I'm doing a 14 week um, marriage study course with a, you know, three core group of friends that we are, you know, bouncing ideas off each other once a week. And it's really great to get in there and uh, sort of strengthen our marriage. I've already seen the benefits both in my marriage, but then in my work workplace. So it's been great. Awesome. That, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, uh, a constant researcher. I'm always reading, um, you know, Stoic philosophy has been a big thing that I just started to dive into, which is very interesting. Like the Marcus Aurelius uh, meditations um, is, is fantastic to read and, and just think about, um, you know, the, the, um, the UBI, the universal basic income um, is a very interesting, controversial subject to bring up amongst people, um, you know, trying to raise that, trying to raise that floor uh, to where we can eradicate poverty. Um, with free cash to people, which is a fantastic conversation to have and um, an interesting one to dive into. Um, and then obviously the distributed ledger, the blockchain, the cryptocurrency, the Bitcoin revolution. I'm really diving into that because I, I think it's really with our, uh, with our space, especially there's no reason why um, we're still dealing in archaic uh, uh, snail mail when, when transferring properties from person to person, when, the distributed ledger technology can be there to instantaneously um, eradicate um, the fraud that is going on within, um, within the real estate sector. Um, so um, that's, you know, that's kind of what we're, what I've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, smart contracts that they are discussing on distributed ledger technology, that's going to be huge in the mortgage note space uh, and in home ownership and so forth. And even titles. And I mean, it's just, it's a whole different world. That's uh, deep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Guys, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. If you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Um, I would would say focus on becoming comfortable with yourself first and foremost. You've got to be comfortable with who you are. And if that involves psychotherapy, go do it. You can learn a lot about yourself and your past. Um, Secondly, I would probably say, Always continue learning. Don't stop learning. If you st- if you stop learning, you start you start dying. And then the last one would be to use your money for, um, I guess, the betterment of society. I guess Henry Ford had had one that he said about it. It's like the highest use of capital is not to make more money, but to make money do more for the betterment of life. And I think that's a that's a big one. And that's pretty much how we that's the metric we use when we connect money with meaning. Is are we doing something? great with this money that's going to help somebody else. Yeah. And for me, um, big things that I actually have four, you know, fail, read, meditate and play, start playing again. As an adult, I think, you know, we, we get away from uh, playing and having fun and imagining. And then you stop asking those questions. Why, why does it have to be this way? And so, um, you know, and the quote from uh, the Salvador Dali that I love is, uh, "Have no fear of uh, perfection because you'll never, you'll never reach it." Um, is is that thing? Don't be afraid to fail. Um, get out there, um, and uh, you know. And I was just listening to a podcast on the playing, and and you know, since I've had a daughter, three and a half years old, I started playing a lot more, and my creativity on on like when I do my writing or whatever has increased tenfold. And it's just as adults, it's like, why do you stop having fun? It's so that's kind of, that's kind of what, uh, where I'm going. 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, say, you look at preschool or, you know, uh, children, and you ask them, you know, who thinks that they can paint or something, everybody's jumping up and down and crazy, and the energy levels are high, and they're excited and playful and, and so forth. And, you know, who wants, what do you want to be when you grow up? Everybody will, you know, jump out, and I want to be a fireman. And there's so much passion and enthusiasm and playfulness and, and self-belief at that stage. And, yeah. you know, I've ranted a lot about our school system because uh, down the line, you put someone in one way and they come out 12 years later, uh, the, the, the shoulders drop, the head drops, all of a sudden the playfulness is gone, the passion is gone. It's almost a life has been sucked out of you. Uh, in, in, in the current, uh, school system. And it's just so great to get that back and to see some people get, get that spark back and having fun, being passionate about something and having that elevated levels of energy, which you once had when you, when we were children. Right. Yeah. So. Like, like you said, I mean, the squash, the school systems, um, are, it's just, there's, they, they squash the creativity right. uh, by trying to cram people into a certain, um, this a square into a hole, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. kids need to be, need to learn to, you know, more arts and crafts. When, when you stop teaching kids to be creative and you start teaching them to take tests and then belittle them, if they don't, they don't pass that test, yeah. that's when it goes, it goes awry. So I agree. I have three kids and it, we, we put them in private school for that reason to try to, to put them and give them the best chance to be creative where they will have that chance. So Absolutely. Probably a great show you could do on like just the school systems. Oh my goodness. That is a whole podcast there because I was just going to say we, we still have bells ringing in schools telling people when to stand up, walk out, sit down, go take a lunch break. Just, I mean, it's the Prussian school system for factory workers and obedient soldiers, right? That was exactly right. That was basically the design, and that's why you had all the bell. I still have all the bells and and, and that kind of stuff uh, in the school. But um, guys, this has been awesome. How can my listeners learn more about you, uh, your company, uh, and stay informed of all the projects that you're involved with? You can check us out. Um, we have a couple of different websites: paperstack.com, um, p a p e r s t a c dot com or cloudcapitalmanagement.com. And if you have any questions or comments, please um, reach out to us at info at cloudcapitalmanagement.com. And you can get TJ or I there and mm-hmm. we'll be happy to connect with you personally. If you have any questions or hope, you know, we can share some information with you about the mortgage note space. Yeah. We're, we're open to, uh, to talking to some good thinkers. Um, anybody that ever wants to do a think tank about stuff. We love doing that about the future of um, the way that business is, is going, where it's going to actually head. Um, we love doing that stuff. So uh, yeah, please feel free to reach out and um, MC. We really appreciate yeah. the opportunity for this, uh, for this platform to kind of, you know, get on top of our soapboxes and let people chest, know what yeah. we can, um, so what we're passionate about. Yeah. And, uh, Great show. You yeah. Look love forward you to your guys. success also. Love what you do. Awesome. Thank you guys, Rick and uh, TJ. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. I mean, this is, I've learned a lot uh, in our conversation, which has just been awesome. Awesome to connect with you guys and love to uh, continue the conversation and have you guys back in the future. Perfect. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks MC. Thank you for joining my guests, Rick Allen and TJ Osterman and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. 
if you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with your family, friends, and your network. Thank you so much for spending your most valuable asset with me, your time. And if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better at the Cashflow Ninja, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter or on our mailing list, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 44222. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with the added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrending activity of ATM use. If you're an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, you can sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They've designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinopsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.